Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Let me tell you a little bit about Bet Online. It remains your number one spot for NBA, MLB, MMA, boxing. It doesn't matter. Every single prop, every single play, every single point, it's all at Bet Online. When it comes to bets, when it comes to props, everything that you need is at your headquarters for sports betting. That's Bet Online. Head to the website right now, use your mobile device, sign up, get a 50, that's 50% welcome bonus. Don't forget to use the promo code BLEAV, that's BLEAV, to get yourself a 50% welcome bonus. Come on, there's no need to hesitate. Bet Online, where the game starts. I hope you're ready to have your mind blown with the greatest health and fitness information on the planet. <laughs> yes, bitch! Oh, yeah. Welcome to the Mikey Likes You podcast. I am Mikey. Who likes you? Are you? Who is liked? Simple equation. Let's get right down to brass tacks. Make sure you are liked. Make sure you are subscribed. Make sure you tell a friend about this podcast because I need your help. I want to make this thing grow so that it can be as big as possible because, frankly, I want money. But I do try. I've had a bit of a renaissance with my whole take on my Patreon, which is available for you, link in the show notes, and then also on how I'm going to approach doing this podcast. And I want to make it as much me coming through the camera and the microphone as possible, and I'm stopping the manipulation of the content and the delivery and the way that it is brought to you um, you know, I'm stopping how I would make it how I thought I should make it, as opposed to making it the way that I wanted to make it. I had this idea, <clears throat> and a lot of it was really well researched and and justified. But I, you know, there's this there's there's a protocol into being successful when it comes to be a digital content creator. And I didn't know this protocol. I came from the world of radio. I came from the world of traditional media, television and radio, and there was a protocol to go about that. And I know it like the back of my hand. And there's a difference. In many ways, it's a subtle one, and then in other ways, it's a giant chasm. There's a difference between doing that and doing new media. Digital media, how you are viewing me, how you are listening to me right now is the new way. And I got caught up into figuring out how to just make that go and be successful following other people and taking advice from other people who did it well. I changed that. <clears throat> I don't know if they did it well. I know that they did it successfully, that they were getting a lot of money out of it. And after having serious talks with my wife and other people that I trust and care about, the way that I was able to create a living for myself in radio needs to be the same take that I have when making this show. And that is to just 
do the best that I can to erase any veneer, any kind of pretension, and any type of character that I develop to broadcast and just do everything I can to have zero barrier between me, the real person, and the person that you get a chance to see and hear. So I'm starting to talk about things that I want to talk about that I think are important. And I'm starting to invest effort into making the show exactly how I see it being successful. So <clears throat> that being said, I'm going to talk about a couple things that I think are important and that I think um, a lot of people would like to hear, at least people who are invested in the idea of self-help, betterment, habit-forming, health, fitness, becoming a better you, right? And the first thing I want to talk about is range of motion when weight training. There's a lot of misconception and there's a lot of kind of differing arguments when it comes to range of motion. And the reality is, is that there's, there's right and wrong answers, yes, but it always depends. And you're going to see that that's a common theme. When you really analyze anything when it comes to, especially training, but largely with nutrition as well, I take that back. When it comes to health and fitness, the answer to almost every question is, it depends. Is keto a good idea? Well, it depends. Is full range of motion a right idea? Is it a, is it a valid idea? Or is stopping short of full range of motion a good idea? Well, it depends. Is going to failure a good idea? Well, it depends. That's the answer. That's the answer a lot of times because we are blessed and cursed with this amazing machine that we call the human body. And the Homo sapien, largely because of our brain, but another reason that we are the king of the jungle not open for debate. We run the roost when it comes to creatures on this planet because of our immense ability to think and to reason, but because our bodies are wildly adaptive. And unlike almost all other creatures, you could take a human body uh, largely anywhere on this planet besides underwater, and we figure out ways to thrive. There are cultures that thrive in the Arctic eating whale blubber without any real access to starches. There are tribes that thrive, that are ripped and live to be really old and happy and healthy, eating nothing but root vegetables. There are people who eat largely fish and meat and, and you know the Mediterranean aspect of it. It, it really runs the gamut. The climate that we can exist in, it's, it's amazing. And the body just figures out a way to do it. You can live on fast food, right? Plenty of people, plenty of us, probably a lot of us watching and listening know that you can just figure out a way to make fast food and, and, and convenience store food. You, you just get by. You get by. This body will adapt. You can drink every day and smoke crack and meth every day and your body will figure out a way to get by. 
It may not be a short, it may not be a long life, but you'll figure out a way to do it, right? Um, so anyway, being that we're so adaptive and that the human body is so complex and that we are also wildly different, being our, our, our lineage, our ethnic background, our training history, our age, our, our gender, there's so many factors that go into it. You can't sit here and say like, a low carb diet is the only way to go. It's the right way to do it. A, a training heavy to failure every third day is the best. You know, everyone's body responds wildly differently to different stimulus because everyone's body is wildly different. We have a completely different makeup of fast twitch to slow tw twitch muscle, myosin, um, leptin, ghrelin. All of it is different from each person to person. You know, and so unless you're getting you know, identical biological twins, it's pretty hard to say, like, this is going to go well for you and this is going to go well for you as well. But there are things where you can kind of narrow down what is going to be effective, and range of motion is one of those. On almost all exercises, it's going to be a great idea to try to maximize the amount of range that you can get. Certainly in the stretch position. I know that there is <coughs> a school of thought that is, you know, stopping at 90 degree angles and working the eccentric, the negative portion and stopping at the 90 degree angle for a pause and not going to full range of motion because you don't want to put the connective tissue into too much stress. And that actually has some validity when it comes to injury avoidance. The problem is, is that not exposing connective tissue and muscle bellies to full range of motions and getting them comfortable and effective in the larger range of motions actually over the long run is going to put you in a worse position when it comes to injury um, prevention because a, a muscle and connective tissue that can work through full ranges of motion is going to be a more effective muscle and going to be a more effective kind of apparatus overall in the long run you do run into that danger of initially putting it in that position. But what does that mean? It means that you have to progressively overload it, which is something we've hit a million times over, and that you start light. I don't want to see people doing full range of motion dips with you know, 90 pounds strapped to their waist right out of the gate. I do full range of motion dips with 90 pounds strapped to my waist, but I started off doing assisted dips with full range of motion until my body could adapt to that. And now I am one of the more resilient people that I train with in combat sports, um, in my shoulder girdle, in my elbow and things like that, because I was capable of like building up that tolerance, exposing it to that full range of motion. So on the, on the, the stretch position or the, the range of motion kind of in the stretch because muscles work in two ways, stretching and contracting. Let's take a uh, dumbbell bench press, right? The stretch position would be as far back as you can go. The contraction would be at the top, the pecs stretched and contracted. Same thing goes for every weight bearing exercise you're going to do, be it body weight, be it machine, be it free weight. There is the stretch and there is the contraction. And that's what muscles are doing when you're weight training. They're going through a range of motion and they're uh, elongating on the negative and they're contracting on the positive. There is times and places where you want to not necessarily go to full level of contraction. 
So let me reiterate, I can't think of areas where you don't want to maximize your ability to elongate or, or push the stretch position. You always want to go within safety, you know, within the parameters of safety, you always want to push, push the stretch position as far as you possibly can. Again, within the realm of safety. Okay? <clears throat> Pardon me. I am dealing with a bit of congestion and illness, so I apologize. Um, but the contraction, the, the, the top motion of the dumbbell uh, press, sometimes you do want to cut that short. Why is that? Because in many exercises, the fully contract position is rest. Now, if you are training for strength solely, if you're a competitive power lifter or an Olympic lifter, you always want to go through the full range of motion, A, because most likely your competition requires that, and B, because you want to be able to work exercises through that full range of motion so that you can complete it to its best ability. <clears throat> when you're looking for body fat loss, body recomposition, muscle gain, there's many, many exercises where you don't necessarily want to complete the full rep on the contracted position because it is essentially a rest position. What are these exercises? Well, think about it from a leverage standpoint. What are the exercises where a fully contracted position is going to be essentially rest? The squat, the bench press, push-up, uh, dumbbell press, incline press, any type of horizontal push, right? If you lock out your elbows on a bench press, it's giving, it's hard, but it's still giving your pecs a rest. If you did a push-up competition with your buddies, right? You get around at the frat house, you guys have had a couple, you're like, I can do more push with you, bro. You don't want to cut it short here. You're going to want to go all the way to the top, maybe take a breather, right? All the way down. And then when your elbows are locked, you can kind of lean into that fixed position. It's like, uh, you know, the posts or the joists that hold up a building they're fully locked, and you're getting a bit of a rest. And the same goes in a squat. If I'm squatting for 20 reps, you know, I'm doing a 20-rep squat program, you best goddamn believe I'm going all the way up to the top, and I'm, I'm holding up because I have to get, you know, I'm on, I'm on rep three. I have to get to 20, and I have 275 on my back. I'm dying to get as much rest as I can possibly get, to give a little bit of respite to my quads and my glutes and my, my hamstrings. But if I'm going for muscle gain, <clears throat> hypertrophy, to really tear apart the muscle cells as best I can, and I'm pushing to failure, you're gonna to wanna to cut that short a little bit. And you'll see a lot of really high level bodybuilders and physique athletes, when they train, they're squatting you know, to parallel and then they're coming up just before their knees lock out and they go back into another rep. Ronnie Coleman famously you know, is doing dumbbell presses or, or bench press and he's going all the way down but he's coming up to like right there because that's the extent where his pecs are still getting tension and then he cuts it 
back down to do another rep. He doesn't lock out. So I encourage people, like I said, unless your goal is to just lift the most weights for the most reps, if you are a competitive strength athlete, there is some uh, discussion to be had. But for most people, wanting to look good naked and perform better, you want to maximize the stretch position, but then right before you get to lockout, you know, 75 to 80% of that lockout, you want to stop it there so that you're keeping continuous tension on the muscles that you're intending to train. Okay. And it's, it's a, it's a, uh, kind of play it by ear type thing. You have to go from exercise to exercise to be able to make those decisions. Most, um, vertical pulling exercises, you're going to want to maximize that range of motion to its absolute peak level on both ends. Uh, chin up's a perfect example. I would never want to see someone, obviously you want to go down as far as you can, but I would never want to see someone cut it there. You want to get that chin in the body up, pull your chest up and try to get as much contraction as possible. Because the peak contraction on those exercises is not a rest position. You're, you're pulling against that gravity. Analyze where the resistance is coming from and then uh, you know, judge it by that. Things like bicep curls, you wouldn't want to necessarily go all the way up here because the tension is coming from up and down, right? Up and down, up and down. If you're doing a standing dumbbell curl, it's straight up and down the tension. So then once you're starting to pull towards your body, the tension's going away and you're actually kind of just really training like, I guess there's some connective tissue there. Um, but <clears throat> if you're really wanting to maximize your biceps, which is what you would probably want to do on a curl exercise, you're going to want to get it to about right there where you could feel the peak contraction, where you would go to flex your muscles, to contract the muscle. And then you're going to want to drop back down to keep continuous tension. So it goes from exercise to exercise, kind of analyze where the tension, where the resistance is coming from, at what angles, where the movement arm is, and then make that decision on your own. Like I said, almost all um, horizontal pushing exercises, you're going to want to cut it short. Almost all vertical pulling exercises, you're going to want to go as high and as low as you possibly can. Okay. So that's just my, uh, dissertation on range of motion, because I do see a lot of conflicting arguments. Another one that I see a lot of conflicting argument on is failure. Now I always tell people go to failure for a couple of reasons. One, most people won't get there. So you might as well go with the idea that I'm going to failure because most people, myself included, barring a couple machine exercises, I, I don't get to complete muscular failure. Why? Because it's just not realistic. It's not realistic to hit complete muscular failure on a barbell back squat. Because if you hit complete muscular failure on a barbell back squat, meaning that you cannot move the bar anymore, your muscles have had, they've been completely depleted. If there was a gun to your head, you could not move it another inch. You're going to have a bar on your back in the bottom position. So you want to go with the idea that I'm going balls to the wall. But realistically, if I can get it back up and rack it on my own without a spotter, which is how I mostly train, <coughs> Um, I, I haven't genuinely hit failure. So it's within one to two reps of complete muscular failure. The bench press without a squat, uh, without a spotter is another perfect example. 
I encourage everyone to go push to failure. But if you're benching without a spotter, you're not going to go to full muscular failure. Frankly, it would be really dangerous and reckless to do so. Okay, so you can see where certain exercises, they just don't put you in a position to hit it. Science has shown that getting really close to failure is actually better overall. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't flirt with the idea of complete muscular failure on things like machine exercises, um, any type of machine curl, any type of machine tricep movement, any type of machine chest press. Go. Go till you can't go anymore. If there is a, uh, not a 45-degree not a leg press, but one where you're kind of sitting up, go for it. Go for it. Push it till you can't push anymore because what's the downside? You go and you keep pushing, you keep pushing, and then you just, you're like, I can't get this up. So you get off the machine and then you can take off some plates and put it back or pull the pin and, and go ahead and put it back. This is the reason why the Arthur Joneses, the Mike Mensers, the early guys who developed high-intensity training where they were really pushing infrequent training to extreme muscular failure, they were almost always training with machines. Arthur Jones, in fact, was the developer of the Nautilus machine system, and his development of the high-intensity training with guys like Viator and Menser was all based around him trying to show how superior this type of training was because it was completely safe to push the muscles almost beyond failure especially with those psychopaths that he was training with. Um, so, you know, look into those kind of notions when it comes to muscular failure. I always say that the rule of thumb, especially with clients that I work with, I was like, just push it to muscular failure. You can train harder. Think about, am I quitting or did I fail? There's a big problem with that where your mind just shuts off and says, I'm done. Before, you probably had three or four reps left. But in certain exercises, there is obviously a reason why you're going to be wary to actually go to full muscular failure. And like I said, most people aren't going to go there anyway, so I say just shoot for it because you'll get close enough that you're getting the overall benefit of those weight-bearing exercises. All right? The last thing I wanted to touch on on today's episode was this idea of kind of the, the masco-verse or, or masculinity in popular media. Um, I, I, I have been, it's really impossible for me to escape a lot of the Andrew Tate stuff, right? And I am largely indifferent to Mr. Tate, and I have at times been an apologist, because my big take on Andrew Tate is, like, if he's running illegal brothels and abusing women, obviously this is, this, you can't stand for that. But from what evidence we've seen, he's running legal brothels in countries where it's legal to do so. And it seems that there's more of a witch hunt after him. Okay. And my question has always been this guy who is driving Bugattis and flying private jets and on yachts and stuff, and he's a professional kickboxer. He looks great. He does. He looks great. He, back, he, he walks it like he talks it. He's clearly very successful with the ladies, and he's very wealthy, and he's, he's, a, he's, he's a badass. He's a legit badass. People are so angry and upset and so invested. There's so many subreddits with just like, we got to get to the bottom of Andrew Tate. And I'm like, wait a second. Uh, 
the people that actually control the world, the people that actually have a huge impact on your life, on my life, on all of our lives, are going to an island set up by Jeffrey Epstein to fuck children. And no one seems all that concerned about that. There's not really that many subreddits of like, who's been to Epstein's Island and what happened when we were there? All these people who are running the biggest banks and largest corporations and the, the, the most impacting, powerful politicians of every country. Let, no one seems to be all that consumed with that, but this guy who's selling masculinity courses, that really rubs you the wrong way. And is some of the talking and some of the, the rhetoric that Andrew Tate does, is it something that I buy into? No, I don't like talking to women like that. I don't like talking about women like that. I, I'm, a, I'm a relationship guy. I'm a nasty poonhound. Don't get me wrong. When I was single, I will put <laughs> my career as a single man up against any. I mean, I was, I was you know, I was not a, I was not a Yankee or a rock star or anything, so I can't, you know, mess with the Derek Jeters of the world or whatever, you know, but I, 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 uh, I, I have no problem with living a promiscuous bachelor lifestyle. I love the ladies and I, but I'm, I also value the idea of women as people, as human beings and love being in relationships. I love being married, you know, so I'm not, I'm not so keen on this idea that, um, you know, using women as, as, as tools or, or, or being dismissive to them as human beings. It, it, it rubs me the wrong way. But at the same time, a lot of what Andrew Tate's saying isn't that ridiculous. It's far less ridiculous than a lot of the people who are out there witch hunting Andrew Tate, claiming and saying all these things that are giving young men and young women ideas that they don't have to take responsibility for their own actions or their own behavior. Because one thing that's at the center of, and, and I, I, I will be first to admit, I'm not like the most studied on the Andrew Tate verse. Um, but one thing that kind of seems at the, to be at the center of a lot of the things he talks about is that you are capable of doing all these things. You can have a private jet, you can have a yacht, you can have all the ladies, but it's the onus is on you to get through the fear of what's whatever's holding you back. And then and then if you F up in trying to do these things, the onus is again on you. Which is, I think, a very valuable lesson, right? Now, look, <coughs> correct me if I'm wrong. It, it, believe me, if there's some evidence out there that he's, like, smacking women around or if he's legitimately, like, an a, a, a abusive kind of pimp for these exploited women and sex workers, I, I, I'm not here to defend that. But the whole thing struck me as odd. And it got me thinking about how this whole idea of like marketing masculinity, that idea as a whole is bothersome to me. Because 
I think like a lot of young misguided men, which I was definitely one. And I think, look, I don't think it's very natural for you not to be that guy. When you're 14 years old, you are just bankrupt of self-esteem and you're impressionable and you're looking for answers. Like, how can I get myself out of this position where I feel like I'm a loser and I feel like everyone else in the world is better and cooler and I am not cool. And I have, my, my biggest problem is that I think that this push for hedonism and decadence is really like kryptonite to the young, impressionable, insecure young man. If you're not successful with the ladies and you're in junior high school or early in high school and you're looking at this, that is the one thing that is even worse. And it just makes you, because you see, this is what I should aspire for, I guess, because he is cool. He's a fucking kickboxer that can kick people's asses. He has lots of awesome cars and he flies in private jets and he gets chicks. That is right down the line. You know, feared by other men, uh, appealing to women. It's like, and powerful because you have wealth. That's right down the line. Everything young men are desperate for. <clears throat> and I, I think that the, that, like the aspiration for it, in and of itself, is what's really at the heart of the problem. If I could elaborate a bit. One of the things that I had so backwards when I was young and really low on self-esteem and really um, searching, and make no mistake, I'm still in many ways searching and I'm still looking for ways to make myself feel more fulfilled and happy and finding my passions and all that, but it's, it's worlds better than it was when I was a young man. One of the things that I got so wrong was that I thought by virtue of having the Bugatti or the hot chick or lots of money, by virtue of simply having that, I would be masculine. And the truth is, is what one must do to acquire those things in a proper way is what creates the masculinity. And that the women and the planes and the money and the Bugattis and all that are really just decorations to signify it. And that the man who has the confidence, the daring, the ingenuity, and most importantly, I think, the will, that is what separates the men from the boys, what creates real masculinity, <clears throat> is resilience in the face of outside pressure. Right? It's not being the school bully. It's 
the pudgy, nerdy kid who has the balls to, in the face of the bully, stand up for himself. That's masculinity, right? The bully has all the trappings, has all the dressings of the masculine. But in, in reality, the most masculine guy there is is the dude who knows he's going to get his ass kicked but says, I won't stand for this, not one second more. That's, dude, talk about man, manly. And so <clears throat> I think the misguided area is that young men are now feeling guilty for maybe not naturally wanting those things. Do I really, I don't really want to go to a strip club. I'd rather stay home with my buddy here and play, you know, play video games because we really like that and we have fun. And uh, I enjoy myself. You know, I, I like to read. I know it's not cool, but uh, I, like to, I like to read, but I don't know, man. Maybe I should, maybe I should be clubbing, you know. Maybe I should get hammered, you know, because hedonism seems to be, at least by the Internet's uh, estimation, that seems to be really masculine. And the reality is, <clears throat> is that sticking with who you really are in the face of overwhelming pressure to change that is where you're going to find your masculinity. You know? And I know it's, it seems weird in that I'm giving a sermon on the idea of masculinity, and I'm going to now tell you, the reality is, is that you can't take in information about, you know, from other people to really find yourself. Because finding yourself exists in solitude. It exists in silence. Expose yourself to these different ideas and see how you as a person innately react to that. There's going to be manly ass, manly dude, or Ernest Hemingway, or uh, you know Jocko Wilnick. You know, the, the, I'm not the I I love Hemingway. You know, for whom the bell tolls is one in top ten for me. Um, I, I think Jocko is an amazing human being, and I encourage everyone to men and women to follow Jocko Wilnick. You know, and my my friend Tim Kennedy is a that's a real man. You know. But I'm sure if you were to, it'd be hard to ask Ernest Hemingway because uh, he's worm food. But if you were to ask Jocko, or if you were to ask Tim Kennedy, or, or all these David Goggins, all these you know, undeniably manly dudes, they had to find themselves in a vacuum removed from outside information because one of the ways that they probably went wayward before finding themselves in and asserting their ability to become this ubermensch was from taking social pressures from outside sources. Okay? I'll give you an, an example before I end the podcast. <clears throat> One of the ways that I increased my self-confidence, one of the ways that I increased my self-esteem, one of the ways that I was able to look in the mirror and feel better about myself was committing myself 
to weight training. Now, I'm not saying everyone go out and weight train. This, follow me here. The reason that weight training and lifting weights is so amazingly important to me and why it has been so crucial in me developing in, in a positive way was not because I got bigger muscles. It wasn't because I had lower body fat. It was because when I started lifting weights, it was super not cool. It was super duper not cool. To the point that when I was 17, 18 years old, I did it in secrecy. For those of you old enough to know what I'm talking about, in 1996, 97, it was really not cool to be the prom king football captain. I loved playing I was a jock, but I loved sports. But it wasn't, like, cool. You didn't wear your letterman's jacket to school to be, like, the dude. It was the, it was the tail end of, like, grunge and anti-society. And uh, <clears throat> the, the kids smoking weed in the parking lot before school and the kids that were like, you know, fuck you, I'm not, I'm not listening to the system, man. You know, that was the kids with, like, the, the, thrift, club, the thrift store clothing, and, you know, that was, that was what was cool. My sister, I have a very weird ability to kind of analyze things because my sister went to the same uh, high school that I went to, but we're 11 years apart. I graduated high school in 1997. She graduated in 1987. Okay, so when my sister was in high school, I was a little boy. And all the cool dudes at her high school, believe me, they were wearing their letterman jacket, jacked, you know, the, the square jaw, kind of like the John Hughes movies, all the cool, the cool kids. They were the cool, that was real, right? And if you watch Can't Hardly Wait, and, and Scream and all these movies from my era, you didn't see that, okay? Like the kids who played guitar or like the, you know, the, like more of the Seth Green type guys were the cool kids, you know? The James Spaders of Pretty in Pink and like, like Ducky in the end in Pretty in Pink, like it, you were like, oh, he's a good guy. I, but the James Spaders and Andrew McCarthy's, they were still the cool kids, you know? So my point being, the fact that I've always, by the time I got clean and I'm 25 and I'm starting to get my life together and, I, and now I have like a physique too, right? It wasn't that I looked in the mirror and saw muscles and that was like, yeah, I'm a man. It was that I kept going with this thing that I knew made me feel better, even though outside forces were telling me, that's not cool. That's not cool, dude. I was like, okay, but I really like this. It really makes me feel good. And then I did it anyway. And then I came out on the back end feeling like that's, that's, it means something to me. You know, it means something to me that I was able to be resilient in the face of outside pressure telling me to do something different, but I stayed true to what I thought was cool. And I will tell you, man, <clears throat> you, can, you can really take the time 
to analyze what is true masculinity. And, uh, you know, I think that you're onto something when you really look at that. Is that if you're going to let society, so many of the, the uber-masculine guys nowadays that are out there on the internet trying to tell you how to be masculine, they're essentially just doing the same thing that they're bitching about, but in the opposite direction. What do I mean by this? Well, a lot of the online kind of masculinity tutorials, right? They're saying that there's this kind of wussification of men and there's a, a narrative coming out from mainstream media or, or whatever that is wussifying you young guys. And it's their, it's their pressure that's making you feel the way that you're feeling. But if you just take my information and apply it, then it will solve all that. And my take to that is, well, maybe, but probably not, actually, if you were to take the time to unplug from all of it and really make a daring internal intervention of who you are as a human being and try to develop that, irrespective of what outside pressures are, it would probably put you down a better path. Because another mistake that I see, in, in my estimation, is that the, 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 the negative, the bizarro masculine is always looked at as like, well, that's, that's what women would do, right? That's the anti-masculine, the feminine. And I don't see it that way. I think the anti-masculine, what the, what the alternative aspect of that would be, would be childlike. Being impressionable, being easily manipulated, being able to be pushed around, not having a true sense of who you are, being petulant, impatient, irresponsible. These are not feminine things. That's what kids do. That's what a baby does. That's what a baby does. I did it. When I was five years old. I wanted cereal. My mom was like, no, you got to have uh, some orange juice and some uh, eggs. I didn't care if it was better for me or worse for me. I just wanted what I wanted, and I would throw a fit if I didn't have it, right? That's not, a, that's not, that's not a, what a woman does. That's what a child does. So I say stop looking through the prism of, of like what is masculine is these trappings of masculinity, these kind of rumored exercises of masculinity, like hedonism, reckless kind of indulgence. The reality is, is that masculinity exists within us. And what is masculine for me is very different from what is masculine for you. And um, some of the most masculine men I know uh, could not beat you up. <laughs> they're, 
they would be have the floor mopped with them in any type of combat situation. It's not necessarily what it is. It's it's about standing. A, a very a very very good example uh, that I will give you from my walk of life was someone that I always admired was Howard Stern. Howard Stern I admire so greatly because he's the greatest radio personality in the world ever, right? I know a lot of people bitch and moan about how he's changed over the years, and there's validity to that, but this is not my point. Howard Stern is one of my idols, not because he's like a tough badass, because he's not. I think Howard would even admit that. And it's not because uh, he's, you know, so wealthy. The reason I always respected Howard Stern and I always thought that he was super masculine was because I worked in radio and I know success in radio and Howard Stern at an age when he didn't really have the ability financially or with clout to, to, to stand up for what he thought was right, pushed back against all program directors company owners and CEOs and all of the sales directors and all of the people who are like, you, we will fire you. You'll never work again if you continue with this toilet humor, blah, 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 blah. And he did it anyway. And he's like, no, screw you. Fuck you, pig vomit. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. Uh, and he came out the winner in the end through resilience and hard work and, and grit and uh, it was always, and, and, and like I said, it, it, it sounds like a lot of like fairy tale Hollywood nonsense to people, but trust me, I know, I worked in radio, I worked for the sister station to Howard for many years, K-Rock in LA was WXRK's sister station, K-Rock New York. I know, I have the, and you will be constantly told when you're making $18,000 a year and you're just trying so desperately to build your career and then someone will come through and be like, you do that again, you're fired. And you're like, if I'm fired, I'm done, I'm sunk. And it takes a huge set of balls to just push through. This is just an example. And it had nothing to do with Howard's house in the Hamptons and nothing to do with how beautiful Beth is or how much money he has, right? It has to do with the fact that like, I know that there was tons of outside pressure saying, you do this, this is what is going to make you successful. And he stuck to his guns. And I feel like that's a really good analogy for what I'm looking at and hoping to like, at least in a, in a small way, guide people to get to that position. Because I, I, will, I do think that like finding yourself, man or woman, child or uh, older person, it exists in solitude. It exists in absentia from all of this outside pressure. And the outside pressure is so much more and so much more effective nowadays when you have things like 24-hour media and social media. So blessings. Uh, subscribe, like, do all that stuff, please. I'd appreciate it. it. That's one outside pressure that I would hope you would give into is that you would like this podcast and comment and and subscribe and tell people to do the same thing. All right? In this crazy mixed up world that makes you think that nobody cares, I do. Be good. Thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.